Well, children, it's pretty important to remember things. I don't know if you know this, but sometimes we have to remember stuff, right? Mum and dad say to us, don't forget to, I don't know, clean your bedroom. Don't forget to pick up after yourself. Don't forget to put your plate on the bench. Don't forget a whole bunch of different things. Well, I forgot something this week. It was a little bit awkward. I took my suit into the dry cleaner on Monday. And they said to me, it will be ready on Thursday or Friday. I said, that's great. I can have my suit back by Sunday. Well, last night, which was Saturday, uh, when dry cleaners are closed, my, my beloved wife said to me, um, did, did we collect the suit? And we went, oh, we forgot. That's really awkward because I don't have another suit. And I only, I'm clearly wearing pants, but I only have one pair of pants for, for, you know, for my suit, not in general. I do have other pairs of pants. So I only have one pair of suit pants and I only have one suit jacket. And I'm like, oh man, because I have to wear some track pants or maybe some stubby shorts or something to church. That'll be a bit awkward, won't it? And so I'm like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. And then I, I remembered all of a sudden, wait a second, I'm fairly sure I have the dry cleaner's cell phone number on my phone because I've done this before. Yes, uh, this is not the second, this is the second time. So I, I did a search on my phone and I found the dry cleaner's number and I'm like, hey, it's me again. Uh, I know you're closed, but I kind of forgot to pick up my suit. And he said, because he's so nice, he said, I'll go down and unlock the store for you. And this lovely man left his wife probably at dinner time and hopped in his car and drove into town and I opened up the dry cleaners and gave me my suit. He's just a legend. He's done this before. And, you know, the, the problem was, the problem was I'm forgetful. And I should have written in my diary and I should have reminded myself and I should have told my children to remind me and told you guys to ring me up in the middle of the week and be like, Logan, don't forget to get your suit. And then I might have remembered. Well, you know, we're all pretty forgetful at times. I've seen my children forget things. I've seen people in this church forget things. Everyone forgets things, and God knows that. And so God comes and he reminds us. He gives us what we might call a book of remembrance, a book for remembering. In fact, when you read through the Old Testament, time and time and time again, it says, remember the God of your fathers. Remember the Sabbath day. Remember to obey me remember why you're here. And then when you get to the New Testament, the same thing happens. It says, I'm going to remind you of this and this and this. And today we're going to get reminded of something in the sermon. But it's not like a, it's a good thing, but we have to start with a bad thing first. Paul is going to remind us of what we used to be like. Because if we forget what we used to be like, then we won't really know what we're like now. And so we're going to need to think think, think about what we used to be like. And that's a bit hard. So we're going to have to ask God to help us to do that. So let's pray and ask God to help us remember who we were and who we are. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that, that you never forget, though Pastor Logan does all the time. And we pray, Lord, that you'd help us to remember where we've come from and what you've done for us and who we are. Help us to remember Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Help us to walk in him. And as we celebrate the Lord's Supper later on and as these children watch on, 
We pray that you'd help us all to remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. We're turning through to the little letter of Titus again. Titus. For those who are visitors, we've been working our way through the little book, and we find ourselves in chapter 3. We're looking primarily at verse 3 today of chapter 3, but we'll read uh, from verse 1 through to 11 just to help us see it in its wider context. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division... After warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. Let's finish the chapter. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need, and not be unfruitful. All those who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word to us, and as we come to consider it, let's bow our heads in a time of prayer. Father in heaven, we quiet in our hearts before you this morning because we recognize that we are totally dependent upon you for everything. Lord, there, there will be no blessing upon this word 
no matter how, how well I have uh, interpreted, no matter how well I have prepared, no matter how well I preach, Lord, though we had the tongues of angels, even still there would be no blessing unless you bless it by your Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, because we are needy, because we are dependent, we look to you. We look to you for, our, for a blessing, for word, for food, that we might grow up into the stature of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Bible pages get blown everywhere. Well, it's a, it's a lovely thing, isn't it, when you see a, a young couple falling in love and, and growing in their love for one another. And, and, you know, it's a little bit sickening, but, but it's still nice to watch, isn't it? And as they love one another and as they delight to spend time together and look for every opportunity to hang out together, constantly seeing one another and never forgetting one another, you know, they wake up thinking about each other and go to sleep thinking about one another, and it just kind of never stops. And it's, it is sweet, and it is lovely. And then eventually they get married, and it continues, right? At least for a week, or uh, at least for a year or two. It carries on for a while, and, and they love spending time together. And, and you know, it doesn't matter what pe the other person does. They're just lovely all the time. They're just delightful. You know, they never smell. It's a miracle. Uh, and, but then, you know, a few years go on and, 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 you know, the sheen starts to wear down a little bit. They're not quite as shiny as they used to be. You know, you discover that they leave stuff on the ground behind them. Uh, you discover that, you know, they don't change the toilet roll when they finish it and that they leave their socks in the bedroom and they don't, as one friend of mine discovered, his, his wife never put the toothpaste lid on. You know, the screw ones created a massive drama in their marriage. <laughs> you know, just all these little things. And, and, you know, I mean, she wasn't that lovely after all anyway. You know, and, and you begin to maybe you get bored and, and, you know, the couple doesn't quite have the same love for one another as they once did. And, and you know, why did we get married? What did I even see in her? I mean, he was never actually nice anyway. And, you know, my administrator at work is way kinder to me. And the guy who fuels my tank, he's so much more generous. And all of a sudden, you forget the one that you once loved. You forget the wonder of, of what caught your attention to begin with. And because you forget, it's just not as exciting anymore, and it, and it leads into, into sin, envy, pride, all sorts of different problems, doesn't it? And, you know, the Christian life can be very similar. Do you remember the first love you had when you discovered the Lord? I, I remember, and I think I've told you this before, my best friend growing up, his dad told me that when he became a believer, he, he wanted to save the world. Like he was just dumbfounded that this God would save him 
and he wanted to tell everybody. And so he tried. And, and an old gentleman in the church one day said to him, you'll calm down eventually. Like me, you know, not very uh, ecstatically enthusiastic anymore. You know, there was a time when our, our, our uh, remembrance of everything God had done just overwhelmed our soul, didn't it? And we wanted to tell our parents, we wanted to tell our friends, and, you know, our work colleagues got sick of us always talking about it, and we were just over the moon with everything that God had done. I mean, I can't believe God loved me. I remember Steve Parnaper telling me, those of you who know Steve Parnaper, he's a pastor in Mangari, Steve Parnaper telling me that when he first got saved, he just decided every single person under the face of the planet needed to hear that Jesus was amazing. And so he'd literally just walk down the road and anyone he ran into, he'd just be like, you've got to know Jesus. It's amazing. You know, just everybody he said he was irritated. Everybody he knew because he was just so overwhelmed with the goodness of God. And some of you know that feeling. And some of us have forgotten that feeling. And for some of us, our faith has become just a bit ho-hum, right? It's just another day. Just another day in the life of the Christian. We come to church and we do the singing. We, we read our Bible and we do the prayers. We do the different things, but it just doesn't capture our heart like it once did. It's a dangerous place to be because all of a sudden idols become very tantalizing. I mean, life was pretty good before I knew Jesus. I had all that fun. There was all those things I used to do. There were all those friends I used to hang around with. Now it's all gone. We're tempted to commit adultery and to give ourselves to other things other than God because we've forgotten. We've forgotten his love. We've forgotten his grace. We've ceased to be amazed. There's this great book that lots of churches use for a Bible study called Putting the Amazing Back in Grace. You know, we sing that song, don't we? Amazing Grace. Are you amazed by grace this morning? Are you amazed by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Or is it just another book on the shelf? Is it just another book on the shelf? You know, one of the reasons, one of the reasons we forget what God has done is that we forget who we were. Paul in our verses here today in verse 3 and 4 is seeking to remind the believers in Titus, in Crete, through Titus, of what they once were so that they would be motivated to worship and motivated to good works. We're going to consider that. We're going to consider what we were. It's really important because if we can get a picture of what we once were, what Christ has done shines out all the more brightly. To put it differently, if we think deep down in our hearts, though we admit it to no one, if we think deep down in our hearts that we are actually really good people who just needed tuning up, God's grace will never amaze you. But let, let's see what Paul says. I've been I called the sermon, Lest We Forget, if you know the reference. It's important. 
lest we forget. And, and we're going to see three things we must not forget. Firstly, lest we forget plurality. Have, have a look at verse, th- verse 3. For we ourselves. This is a very emphatic statement, brothers and sisters. For we ourselves. Now, notice how Paul phrases that. He doesn't say, for you Cretans. You know, I mean, we all, we've heard many times by now the Cretans were a bunch of misfits, right? A bunch of troublemakers, rebel. Everyone knew the Cretans were rebel. But Paul doesn't say, you Cretans were once these things, does he? He says, we. We ourselves. It's emphatic. We, all of us. There's, there's no one that doesn't fall into this category. It doesn't matter, Paul says, what our upbringing is. It doesn't matter if we're born into the covenant of grace or if we're not. It doesn't matter if we are uh, raised in a lovely family that, that taught us wonderful habits, taught us to read our Bible from very young. It doesn't make a difference if you were baptized as a child or not. It doesn't make a difference if you're rich or poor, if you're black or white, if you're Jew or Gentile, if you're tall or short, thin or fat, makes no difference. We ourselves. There is no one in this room that is excluded from what we're about to see. And you must not miss that. There is a temptation for us when we think about sin to think them or them or the guy on the other side of the church. And this is how this plays out. You listen to a sermon and you think to yourself, I really hope Bob is listening or I really hope Mary is listening because they really need to hear this message. Sometimes people will say that to me, and my response is always the same. The sermon was for you, not them. Of course, it was for them, but it was for you. Because we all, David says, like sheep, have gone astray. We all were once, Paul says. Now, now. The first and the third point are going to be much shorter, okay? Just to prepare you. First and third are going to be much shorter. Second's going to be much longer. So our first point is, lest we forget plurality, that this applies to all of us. This is true for all of us. But the second thing we must not forget, lest we forget our depravity. We must not forget the reality of our fallen and corrupt nature. We were once in Adam. And Adam was fallen and corrupt. So let's see. Let's see what this looks like. I want to highlight for you seven things. Seven things of our depravity that Paul mentions here. Firstly, have a look at verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish. Foolish. He doesn't mean by foolish, you know, we just weren't very smart. You know, we used to be a bit dumb, but now we're real clever because we became Christians. That's not his point. So we had spiritual and intellectual folly, the way the word can be used for either. Here he's thinking about spiritual. You were a spiritual fool. You were like Nabal. Remember Nabal in the Old Testament? David's going along and he sends a message to Nabal and he's like, hey, can we, we've been protecting your sheep. Just wondering if we can chill out here safely. We'll keep protecting them. Love if we could share in some of your sheep and stuff like that. And Nabal sends him a message back and basically says to him, no, stuff off. 
lots of people have, uh, you know, children running away nowadays. I can't feed everybody. I've got my own family to feed. He, he's considered a fool. He's one of the epitomes of folly in the Old Testament. Paul is saying we are like that. We're, we're Nabals, or we were. We were Nabals. Or we were like the Galatians. You remember when Paul writes to the church in Galatia, that just scathingly, and he's like, oh, you foolish Galatians, what has bewitched you? And you're like, whoa, Paul, that's pretty severe, you know? I mean, normally you're all like, hey, saints in Galatia. He's just like straight for the jugular. Then two verses later, he's like, you're foolish. Drives it home. Why? Because they were believing a lie. They were believing they had to work for their salvation. So he savagely rebukes them as fools. And we were once like that. At one time, we believed wrongly. At one time, in our flesh, we had no spiritual comprehension in our heart or brain whatsoever. We had no way to think. We, we thought wrong was right and right was wrong. Even if, you, even, if, even if you were saved when you were six years old, even if you've always loved the Lord, in your fallen nature, this is true of you. It's not my opinion. It's what God is saying. So we were fools. Secondly, Paul says, have a look at the text, we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, or, or rebellious. I think I prefer that translation. Rebellious, some translations put it rebellious against people in authority over you. It's not just talking about earthly authorities, though it is. It's not just talking about parents. It's striking that in one of the lists of sins, you get like adulterer and drunkard and, you know, all these different things. And then there's rebellious against their parents right in the middle of it. It's the same word in the Greek translation of the Old Testament that is used and applied to the child who is completely disobedient against his parent and is brought outside and stoned. A heart that utterly rejects authority, but it is particularly in reference to God in the mind of Paul here. We threw off the authority of God, didn't we? I don't want to submit to God. I'm God. I will do what I want. God can't tell. Who do you think you are, God? Tell me how to live my life. I'm my own woman. I'm my own man. I will live how I please. Now, some of us have done that, haven't we? In times in our lives where those around us have said to us, it's not a good idea. God wouldn't want you to do that. And we've said, I know better. I'll do what I want. And we turn to sin. We're like, we're like the people with Moses in the wilderness. Remember the story in Numbers where, where the people are rebelling over and over and over and over again. And Moses gets fed up with it. And, and God says to Moses, go and strike the rock and bring forth water against these rebellious people. And Moses goes up and he picks up his staff and he stands in front of the rock. And he says to them, must I bring out water for you rebellious people? And he wastes the stone, you know, and he gets punished for it, but the, and the water comes out. He says, you rebellious people. And it's the exact story that the writer to the Hebrews picks up. The writer to the Hebrews in chapter three talks about the rebellious 
people, the rebellious generation, those who refuse to submit to God. That's what we at one time were, brothers and sisters. But the list goes on. He says, we were foolish, disobedient, led astray, or being deceived by others. We were like Joseph. You remember the story of Joseph and when he goes to find his brothers, little Joseph, right in the beginning of his story, goes to find his brothers just before they kill him and then sell him into slavery. It's really interesting. The text says he was wandering in a field. It's kind, it actually kind of, you could translate it as he was led astray in a field. The, the, the idea is that he's just meandering around a field and has no idea where he's going. He has no idea where to go, where to look, what to do. And a random guy turns up and says, oh, the brothers are down over there. We're like Joseph in the field. That's what we all were like. Wandering aimlessly in the world with nowhere to go. Not knowing what to do. I mean, we thought we did. We did lots of stuff, right? And we do lots of stuff. But we, we never went anywhere with direction. We never lived for the glory of God. We never lived for the praise of the grace of Christ. We never lived to pursue the kingdom of God. We just aimlessly wandered, deceived by anyone that would come along. We were like the blind being led by the blind, right? And both of us would fall into a pit. It's a comical picture Jesus draws, but it's exactly what we were like, living in sin and the sinners of the world telling us the right way to go. It's like Muhammad, right, just stands up one day and just says, I've had a vision and I'll show you the way to be saved. It's like Joseph Smith, I got some magical glasses and I can show you how to get to heaven. It's like the cult in Korea, the Messiahs in Korea. Over and over again, I will show you the way. And blind people rush headlong to follow. And we were like that. We were like that. But fourthly, see number four, have a look. We were led astray and we were slaves to various passions and pleasures. Slaves to various passions and pleasures. So it wasn't, it wasn't enough for us just to be led astray. We were, we were controlled, we were owned, and we were owned by, by the lusts of our heart, by the passions of our flesh, which just sought to, to give themselves, to give themselves to anything and anything that would satiate our desires, that would fulfill the pleasures of our heart. The word for pleasures there is, is where we get the word hedonism. If you don't know what hedonism is, it's the concept that all you do is live for pleasure. Whatever gives me the most pleasure, that is what I ought to pursue. So work is fine, but only if it enables me to have more pleasure. A family is fine, but only if it causes me pleasure. And that's what we did. Whether it was sports, whether it was family, whether it was work, whatever it was, we just sought things that would fill the emptiness of our hearts and the lusts of our flesh. We were like a, um, a group of people. I don't know if you heard about this, but in somewhere in America, I think, I can't remember, or Canada, I can't remember, there was declared no pants rail, rail day. Um, sounds insane. It's as obvious as it sounds. You go and ride on the train with no pants on. It's obscene. Apparently, they've done it for like five years, except for during COVID period. 
So it's something we can rejoice about COVID for. Um, no pants rail day. You go and ride the train with, with children there, adults there, everyone there. And literally, like, they had blurred pictures of these people just sitting on the train, chilling out with no pants on. Middle of the day. That's kind of comical, but absurd, right? You know, Second Peter 2 says that they reveled in the daytime. Do you remember that scene? Do you remember that picture in the wilderness where, where Moses goes up the mountain? And what, what does Israel do? They make a golden calf. And they're, and they're coming down the mountain. Josh, Moses and his servant Joshua, they're coming down the mountain. And Joshua says, I hear the sound of war, right? Do you remember that? I hear the sound of war. And Moses says, that is not the sound of war. It's the sound of play. We're told they rose up and played. They reveled in the daytime. Brothers and sisters, we were all formerly like that. Devoting ourselves to our pleasures Have a look at number five, verse three. So we were slaves to various passions and pleasures, and we were passing our days in malice, in malice and envy. You know, there's that, um, there's a great section in Philippians, Philippians one, I remember Jeff preached on it a while ago, where where Paul's writing from prison and he says, he's talking about people preaching Christ. Do you remember this? Chapter one, he says, some people preach out of envy and malice, wanting to do harm to me. And he said, that's great, they're preaching Christ. But can you picture that? Can you picture me standing up here and preaching out of malice and envy in an attempt to destroy people? realize there was a time when we all did everything out of malice and envy. You know, someone at work started to get ahead, so we sought to destroy them. Someone else has a better car than ours, so we try and beat them. Someone else has something we want, so we take it. We see it everywhere, don't we? I mean, I remember reading a story ages ago where, where someone got in trouble for keying someone's car. You're not keying someone's car. So you, know, you get the key on the side of the car. It was like a Porsche or something. This person keyed the side of the car. And, and the reason he did it, he said, was because if I can't have one, they can't have one. It's envy, pride, malice. You can think of, think of all of the times when you've, driven down the motorway and seen someone. I mean, if you're not a car person, you can't do this. Well, I'm a car person. So. Driving down the road, wishing I had everything that someone else had. It's just in my heart. Have a look at number six. We ourselves were foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. This is two things, and it's really hard to translate. Hated by others is a word which is only used once in the entirety of the New Testament and Old Testament, which makes it really hard to figure out what it means. 
hated by one another is probably a bad, tra- I'll just call it a bad translation. Um, the, the sense of hating and being hated comes from the last word, which you see there, hating one another. Hated by others is almost like it's an adjective which describes someone who is loathsome, someone who is despicable, someone who is disgusting. You know, when you see something or someone, you're walking down the road and you see them and you think to yourself, ooh. Now, I'm not saying we should say that. So that sense of revile that happens. And if, if it's too personal, say it about a human, you know, a, a decomposing animal. You walk past and you go, ugh. It's just like it's a, it's a pleasure to loathe that decomposing animal, right? When you open up the back of the oven and discover there's five mice in there. Ugh. Maybe that's just me. We were like that. We were the decomposing animal. There was nothing pleasant or good in us that was worth looking at and loving. Paul says it differently in Ephesians. He says we were objects of wrath. Ephesians 2, 3. We were objects of wrath. But here he says we were objects of loathing. It's not that people loathed us. It's that we deserve to be loathed because there was nothing good in us. But then we were hating one another also. Number seven, we were hating one another. We just lived lives of hatred. We may not have expressed it, but deep down in our heart, born into everything we did was a hatred for every other human being and theirs for us. It was mutual. It was reciprocal, back and forth. We were like we were like Leah and Rachel. Remember when Leah has her first child? She says, God has given me a child because I am hated. And the feeling was mutual between Rachel and Leah, wasn't it? And that was us. Now, you might be sitting here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, Logan, you are, Logan, you are barking completely up a bonkers tree. I'm a really nice person. I always have been. I mean, my parents, they taught me to hold my fork and knife in the right hand, unlike Logan. My, my parents, they made me use my manners. My parents taught me to be kind to people. I never hated anyone. I mean, I've just been the sweetest person my entire life. I've been kind. I was the person at school that looked out for everybody else. I got all the certificates for being kind. I got all the character awards. I'm just legitimately probably by nature the nicest human being on the face of the planet. Okay, you're probably not thinking that, but you think I'm actually a good person and I don't see this. I get on the bus And non-Christians get up off their seat and let an old person sit down. And Sikhs, remember this story, Sikh takes off his turban, making himself unclean, doing something scandalous because a girl got injured. Just takes his turban off in front of everybody and uses his turban to bind up this girl's wound. I mean, that's not hating. That's loving. I see good people everywhere. I meet them at the supermarket. 
I meet them at the mall. I meet them in my home. I meet them in my workplace. Everywhere I go, I see lovely, lovely people. Compared to who, brothers and sisters? See, it's very easy for us to find, you know, like the lowest common denominator, right? We find the abuser of children and we say, see, I'm a pretty good parent. Or we find the person who's been married 17 times and we say, see, I'm a pretty good husband or wife. We find the guy that steals all of the workplace staplers and we say, see, I'm pretty honest in my workplace. But brothers and sisters, human beings are not the standard. Paul is not comparing you to other people. He's not comparing me to other people. He's comparing us to God. He's comparing us to perfection. And compared to perfect love, the way we lived was hatred. Compared to perfect beauty, we were loathsome through and through. This is why when Isaiah walks into the temple in Isaiah 6, he cries out, woe is me. It's not because he sees an angry God. It's not because he sees judgment. It's not because he sees something terrifying. It's because he sees something beautiful, something magnificent, perfect. He sees utter, raw glory and perfection in its totality. He sees the purest white gold. And then he looks at himself and he sees filth. (laughs) He sees the radiating splendor of God and he looks at himself and he says, woe is me. Look at me. I'm undone. How do I compare to the glory of God? And brothers and sisters, we've seen him, haven't we? We've seen him walking upon this earth, the Lord Jesus Christ in all of his perfection, all of his glory, all of his magnificence. And we look at him loving tax collectors and sinners, caring for widows and orphans, blessing little children, gathering them in his arms, heaping out kindness, laying down his life for the sinners. Can't you look at him and go, what on earth's wrong with me? I'm an abomination. There's just no way I compare to him. We were all once this very description compared to Jesus Christ. Do you feel it? Do you see your ugliness? Do you see your horror? Do you see your loathsomeness? There's nothing good in you. Nothing. Calvin would say that everything you do Even now, everything you do is tainted by your sin. You're an abomination. Whether to be thrown out the camp and burnt on the refuse pile. That's all of us, Paul says. Have you forgotten? Have you forgotten who your real father is? Adam, the devil, there's nothing in us that's commendable, nothing good, nothing lovely, 
Remember that passage, Paul says, if there's anything good, if there's anything lovely, if there's anything noble, think about these things. Well, we better not be thinking about ourselves. It's nothing. Don't forget it. I'll wake up in the morning and look in the mirror and consider who you once were. Why? Because unless we know how filthy we are, we can never understand how clean we've been made. Remember what I said earlier? If deep down in our hearts we think we're good, we will never truly appreciate what God has done. I know it's an ugly picture. I've been meditating on this ugly picture all week. I know it's an ugly picture. I know it's not enjoyable. I know it's not fun. I know it's not nice. Because that's us, brothers and sisters. It's who we were. Oh, but brothers and sisters, it's who we were. It's who we were not who we are, not who we are, lest we forget, lest we forget philanthropy. You know what philanthropy is? A philanthropist is someone who goes out of their ways to use their resources to do good for people. Let us not forget philanthropy. Have a look at verse 4. But when the goodness and the word is philanthropy, that's where we get philanthropy from. When the goodness and philanthropia of God our Savior appeared, he what? He saved us. I mean, brothers and sisters, if you think about the picture of us, why on earth would you show love and kindness to us? It doesn't make any sense. I mean, a man might consider, Paul says, laying down his life for his friend. But Jesus laid down his life while we were his enemies. Enemies. While we were loathsome. While we were haters, while we were malice and envy-filled, driven by pleasures, he laid down his life for us when we were weak. God died for the godless. Let it fill your heart with wonder that we who were once these things, God lavished his love upon. Isn't that what this table's all about? It's not just a gimmicky remembrance. It's not just like, oh, it'd be good for us to make sure we remember that Jesus died on a cross once. It's to pick up the bread and to pick up the wine and say, I who was a wretch, this is what Christ did for me. Praise be to Jesus. I once was lost, we sung earlier, in darkest night. 
knew not the way. But God's love broke upon my heart. And so these things become former things. Have you forgotten? Have you forgotten the wonder of all that God has done for you? Let me call you to remember. Remember, repent, and believe. Remember and live for him with all of your might. Remember and praise him. And if you're here this morning and you can't remember, cast yourself upon the mercy of God. And as this bread and as this wine gets passed around in a few moments, look at it. Don't take it. Look at it. And ask yourself, from whence does my help come? From where will I look to be saved? But to Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you that though we were formerly abominations, yet in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have set your love upon us. You have redeemed us from darkness and from slavery and set us free to live as children of light. We thank you for the glory of the gospel, and we pray that you would help us never to forget it. We acknowledge that so often we do forget it. Forgive us and remind us again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.